But wait, there's more. Hi, everybody. It's Terry O'Reilly here, and we're happy to announce something we've never offered before. It's our But Wait, There's More subscriber package. If you're a fan of Under the Influence, you'll get more than ever before. You'll get more bonus episodes like the live recording and audience Q&A we did recently at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival, exclusive for subscribers only. You'll get more podcasts with additional stories. You'll get early access so you can listen to all of our new shows before anyone else. You'll get all of our episodes, including archives, ad-free. Tisk tisk. I won't judge. You'll be invited to Ask Me Anything sit-down chats with yours truly. You'll get first dibs on tickets for live events. You'll get big discounts on Under the Influence merchandise. And that's only the beginning, all for a few bucks a month. Just go to our show page on Apple Podcasts and tap Try Free to start your free seven-day trial. Membership has its privileges. Hmm, you should copyright that. 
Back in 1983, John Scully was the president of Pepsi. He was a very highly paid executive sitting atop one of PepsiCo's most important divisions and was the youngest president in Pepsi's history. Scully had dedicated his career to Pepsi and was widely believed to be a serious contender to become PepsiCo's chairman one day. As a result of his high profile, Scully constantly turned down offers from corporate headhunters, trying to lure him away to run other companies. John Scully had Pepsi in his veins. One day, he received a call from the top headhunter in New York telling him Apple Computers was looking for a CEO. Steve Jobs needed someone to run the company while he focused on product development. Although Scully was intrigued by Apple's rise to become a Fortune 500 company in only six years, he said he wasn't interested. The headhunter urged him to just meet with Jobs. Scully had a trip planned to California to visit some family, so he agreed to meet Jobs while there, but insisted on paying his own way so there were no obligations. When he met Jobs, he was taken aback by how young he was. Steve was only 27, but he and Scully had a lot in common. Both were detail-oriented perfectionists and both liked to build companies. But Scully was shocked by Apple's headquarters. It looked like the branch office of an insurance company, completely unimpressive. Scully also noticed he was the only person wearing a suit, as all the Apple employees were dressed less formally than the maintenance staff at Pepsi. Jobs told Scully that Apple was going to be the most important computer company in the world because it was going to put the technological power of corporations into the hands of the individual. Scully was impressed with Jobs. Jobs was fascinated by Pepsi's marketing. But at the end of the meeting, Scully reiterated that he wasn't interested in leaving Pepsi. A few weeks later, Jobs flew to New York and dropped in on the Pepsi president. Scully still resisted the offer. Then Jobs started calling him every three or four days. While intrigued and flattered, Scully kept declining the job offer. Apple countered by offering a huge salary and stock options that would vest at over $50 million. Scully still refused. So Jobs flew up to New York again and asked Scully to reconsider one last time. Scully said thank you, but no thank you. He had invested too many years in Pepsi and he had a future there. That's when Jobs looked Scully in the eyes and said, Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? That challenge hit Scully like a fist in the stomach. After all the meetings, the huge salary offer and the stock options, it was that one sentence that haunted him. It gnawed at Scully. It wouldn't let him sleep. It was so powerful, it finally convinced him to leave Pepsi behind and join Apple. That question from Steve Jobs is considered one of the best elevator pitches in history. An elevator pitch is a short, concise encapsulation of an idea but so compelling that it ignites action. 
In marketing, the elevator pitch is the soul of the industry. From summing up a campaign idea to a client to making a compressed, precise pitch to consumers, the ability to distill an idea to its very essence is a vital art. The elevator pitch is the ultimate test of an idea. If you can't short form it, it means your idea lacks focus and clarity. And that's why an elevator pitch is one of the key aspects of communication, whether it be in movies, politics, school essays, or marketing. You're under the influence. An elevator pitch is a very specific kind of pitch. It's about clarity, born of an enforced time constraint. The classic definition of an elevator pitch is: How would you describe an idea to someone in the brief time it takes for an elevator to go from the first floor to the second floor? It's an intriguing question and a challenging one. It forces you to encapsulate the core of your offer. Without it, your story, your marketing, or even your entire company has no focus, no benchmark, no true north. Every company should have a clarity of purpose, but you might be surprised how many business owners have difficulty articulating it. I've been in many a meeting where a successful business person cannot express the vision of their company in a succinct sentence. The problem with lack of clarity is that it has a chain reaction effect on the marketing. If a CEO or director of marketing can't articulate in a few words what makes the company unique, then the marketing will always be fuzzy. Every company should have a clear purpose. Everything a company embarks on should emanate from that core purpose. It is a platform, a foundation, a sharp articulation of what a company was born to change. And all the marketing a company produces should be measured against that benchmark. By always referring back to it, a company will never stray from its vision, because that elevator pitch turns into a lighthouse whenever the horizon gets foggy. But why is articulating an elevator pitch so difficult? Maybe it will help to look at some examples of great ones. One of my favorite monthly reads is a magazine called Wired. It was launched in 1993 and reports on how ideas and innovations are changing the future of culture, business, and science. According to its website, Wired magazine and Wired.com reach over 14 million readers every month. All that success is well deserved. But back when it was just a startup. The founders had to find financial backers to get it off the ground. Finding money is never easy, especially when a company only exists as an idea. That's when the elevator pitch is everything. But the founders of Wired got funding very quickly. They got the money because their elevator pitch was so captivating. They simply said they wanted the magazine to feel like it was mailed back from the future. A perfect pitch for a magazine that covers emerging technology. Not only did it sum up the magazine's mission perfectly, but the choice of words was so compelling, like a magazine mailed back from the future. 
When financial backers heard that line, they could instantly imagine the magazine. They knew immediately what it stood for and what made it unique. And 21 years later, that elevator pitch is still the benchmark for everything Wired Magazine does. A clear and compelling elevator pitch says so much about the founder and the company, or the director of marketing and her campaign, or the salesman and his product line, or the politician and his vision. When Ronald Reagan was running for president, he posed one question to America. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? And when voters were in the booth, that haunting sentence hung in the air as they put an X beside Reagan's name. When the jury was deliberating on O.J. Simpson's fate, the line, If it doesn't fit, you must acquit, rung in their ears. A sharply worded idea that has been wedded on the stone of brevity is capable of remarkable persuasion. Sometimes the purpose of a concise elevator pitch isn't to sell a product, an advertising campaign, or a screenplay. Sometimes that short collection of words can be very motivating. When Michael Jordan was asked what it was about the Chicago Bulls that made them so dominating, he simply said, One team, one dream. It was a phrase that perfectly captured the team's spirit, expressing their goal to win as a team. Those four words became the Bulls' mantra in practices, on the bench, and during the game. In his book, Tell to Win, movie producer Peter Goober tells a fascinating story about legendary basketball coach Pat Riley. Riley led the Los Angeles Lakers to four championship titles before moving on to coach the Miami Heat. In 2006, the Heat wasn't supposed to get into the finals. Even though they had Shaquille O'Neal, they were overshadowed by many more powerful teams. But, under Riley's insightful coaching, they made it to the championship. The Heat were playing the Dallas Mavericks for the NBA title and were ahead three games to two and only had to win one more. But the last two games were scheduled to be played in Dallas, the Mavericks' home court. Statistically, the team with home court advantage wins three out of every four series in the playoffs, and the Heat's handicap would be most intense in the seventh game. If they lost the sixth, winning the seventh game in an enemy stadium would be almost impossible. But Riley felt certain his team could beat the Mavericks as long as they were convinced they could. He had to make his players believe they could win the championship in Game 6, because he didn't want them having to play that dangerous seventh game in the Mavericks' house. So, how did he motivate his players to win Game 6? He simply told the team the whole story of their upcoming victory in a single line. He told everyone to pack for just one night. Not two, just one small overnight bag. That simple line telegraphed Riley's intention that there was not going to be a seventh game. That his team wouldn't need a second change of clothes because they were coming home the night of the sixth game as NBA world champions. He told it, they felt it, and they did it. The Miami Heat, they've done it! They win their first championship in franchise history! Pat Riley didn't need to make a speech. 
He just had to make one concise elevator pitch to motivate his team. And with it, the Miami Heat owned that goal. And we'll be right back. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're enjoying this episode, why not dip into our archives? Available wherever you download your pods. Go to terryoreilly.ca for a master episode list. In marketing, the elevator pitch is essential. The heart and foundation of a campaign has to pass the test of being summed up in just a few words. If it can be, it's probably a solid idea. If it can't be, chances are great that it's unfocused, rambling, or can't exist fully inside the harsh walls of 30 seconds. If you've ever wondered how a product can connect with huge swaths of people who seem to have nothing in common, just look at the core of the message. That essence, the elevator pitch, will tap a universal desire. Apple products are used by teens and people in their 50s and 60s. But how can one product appeal to such a wide demographic? Because the core of Apple's promise is empowerment. That the power of technology taken from the few was put into the hands of the many. 
It was Steve Jobs' pitch to John Scully that day. And that notion is meaningful to so many people. One of the fundamental aspects of marketing is that a company has to know what business it's in. That may sound like a laughable exercise, but it's not. Apple is not in the computer business. It is in the empowerment business. Nike is not in the sneakers business. It is in the personal goals business. Molson is not in the beer business. It is in the party business. A company can't articulate its elevator pitch unless it truly understands what business it is really in. As Simon Sinek says in his must-read book titled Start With Why, products don't create customer loyalty. A company's core purpose does. People are attracted to Apple because of what Apple stands for, not the gizmos. There are less expensive options out there, yet Apple is one of the most profitable companies in the world. People are attracted to Nike not because of the shoes, but because they are pulled to the philosophy of just do it. Whether that pertains to getting fit, or popping the big question, or leaving a bad job, or starting your own business. 80% of Nikes are not worn by people who work out. That should tell you everything. Nike's elevator pitch fuels its business. In the online world, mentors and venture capitalists get inundated with startup pitches. And at conferences where hundreds of startups go to network, getting a meeting with someone influential is difficult and challenging. That's why many companies have started to ask for a 21st century version of the elevator pitch. It's called a twit pitch. Essentially, a new company would pitch its idea via Twitter. So if you thought an elevator pitch was tough, imagine a 140-character one. But the purpose of a twit pitch isn't really to get funding on the spot. It's to engage or intrigue someone enough so that they want to hear more. The twit pitch is kind of like an entrance exam. If you can sum up a new idea in a sentence and still intrigue a jaded venture capitalist, well, you get a meeting. Again, it's a pitch to ignite interest. And nowhere is this concept better understood than in Hollywood. Movie studios know that consumers make quick decisions about which film to see. And they know there are lots of choices out there for your entertainment dollar. So they try to make that decision easier by using elevator pitches. The question, what is the movie about, is the crux of all movie marketing. And the elevator pitch starts at the screenwriter stage. When a screenwriter is trying to sell a story to a movie studio, much of that writer's success will be based on the elevator pitch. Some refer to it as an escalator pitch. That doesn't mean you have to pitch your story in the time it takes an escalator to go from the bottom to the top, but rather, the screenwriter is going up one escalator, the studio with the money is going down the other escalator, and in the brief moment the two pass each other is the pitch opportunity. That's how fast it has to work. 
In his screenwriting book titled Save the Cat, screenwriter Blake Snyder says that if a writer can't sum up his or her story in one intriguing line, they haven't thought their story through. Until you have your pitch, you don't have a story. Again, it's the discipline of clarity. The one-line pitch forces you to articulate the core idea. Or it forces you to admit there isn't one. One of my favorite elevator pitches was for the movie Dirty Harry. The film became a phenomenon and made Clint Eastwood a star for all time. But what was it about the movie that evoked such a reaction? What was that film really about? A rogue detective? A cop who breaks the rules? No. Dirty Harry was about a cop who is more violent than the criminals he chases. And when you think about it, that's exactly what was so mesmerizing about Dirty Harry. It's the reason the studio made the movie. When a screenwriter pitched the movie Alien, he said it was, quote, Jaws in space. Once the movie studio heard that line, they bought the story. The elevator pitch made them instantly imagine the movie and the marketing campaign. A grandmother from Arizona once sent a 3x5-inch card to a Hollywood executive. On it, she wrote, Are you interested in a story about a man who lives in the Statue of Liberty? The studio paid her $100,000 for that one sentence. See, an elevator pitch isn't just an exercise to ensure you have a genuine idea. It is also a detonator. It ignites excitement. When Hollywood executives looked at an advanced copy of Robert Ludlum's book, The Born Identity, they didn't have to read the 523 pages. They just had to hear one line to greenlight the movie. What if a man with amnesia has forgotten he's the world's most dangerous assassin? And then, there's Snakes on a Plane. Actor Samuel L. Jackson signed on based on those four words alone. It was an elevator pitch, a movie title, and a marketing campaign all rolled into one. One of my favorite elevator pitch stories involves advertising and Hollywood. One day in 1986, an advertising copywriter and art director team in London, England, decided to spend their summer vacation flying over to Hollywood to pitch their movie idea. When the two of them landed, they looked up agents in the phone book and went down the list until one agreed to a meeting. So they met with that agent and explained their movie idea. When they were done, the agent said, Listen, I have an appointment with a studio exec this afternoon to pitch a movie, but my writer just cancelled on me and I don't want to lose the meeting. Let's go pitch this idea. So... The British ad guy said, sure, and jumped in his car. They had no idea how lucky they were to be with an agent on the way to a movie studio to pitch a story during their first week in Hollywood. They just figured this was how it went in America. When they get to the studio executive's office, they shake hands, sit down, and pitch their movie idea. The studio exec listens, then says, I hate it. What else you got? Now... The British ad guys only have one idea. So they say, um, let us run down to the car and get our other idea. The studio exec said to make it quick. 
The ad guys duck into a washroom and stare at each other in a mild panic. Then the copywriter says, Hey, remember that idea you had where twins are separated at birth and meet later in life? The art director says, Yeah, but that was all he had, no story. The copywriter finishes his business at the urinal, turns, and says, What if the twins are Schwarzenegger and DeVito? So they march back into the office and say to the studio exec, Okay, twins separated at birth that meet later in life. One's Arnold Schwarzenegger and the other is Danny DeVito. There was a pause in the room. Then the exec said, I'll take it. Because in that instant, he could imagine the movie, the marketing, the poster, and most of all, this scene. Come again? My name is Julius, and I'm your twin brother. Oh, obviously. The moment I sat down, I thought I was looking into a mirror. And that's the story of twins, sold with just an elevator pitch. Ideas fuel the world, and everybody's got one. But so few ideas see the light of day, because so many die during the presentation. Selling an idea is a very difficult process. The key is clarity. An elevator pitch forces you to distill your idea down to its very essence. If you can articulate your idea in a single thought, in language that excites people, you win. Refining an elevator pitch is the ultimate test of an idea. If it can be condensed down to a dynamic nutshell, it's a strong idea. If you struggle to articulate it, it's fuzzy. When Steve Jobs wanted to persuade John Scully to leave his top post at Pepsi, money and stock options didn't work. But when Jobs summed up the opportunity in a single penetrating sentence, Scully was seduced. When Wired Magazine needed financing to launch, their one-line pitch made wallets open right around the table. When Pat Riley needed his basketball team to believe they could win the sixth game against all odds, he framed that motivation in a single bold statement, and the team got the message. An elevator pitch can articulate an idea, define a story, encapsulate a marketing campaign, and even express the soul of a company. And any company that can't express its vision in a single vivid sentence is a company that is underachieving. That's why communication is like an elevator. It only goes in one of two directions when you're under the influence. I'm Terry O'Reilly. Uh, hello, Mr. O'Reilly. Uh, that was an interesting Under the Influence episode. 
It got me thinking. What do you think the Otis Elevator Company's elevator pitch is? Under the Influence was produced at Pirate Toronto. Sound engineer, Keith Oman. Theme music by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre. Series coordinator, Debbie O'Reilly. Research, James Gangle. Okay, I won't beat around the bush. I like the cut of your jib. And your jib would look even better in an Under the Influence t-shirt. You'll find them on our shop page at terryoreilly.ca slash shop. See you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.